say, why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. Everybody says they believe in what you said, but they wag their hands, insisting that your body's just Buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you this week. Uh, if I sound a little funny, that's because uh, I've got a chest cold coming on. And uh, and if I still sound funny after that, it's because of the equipment that I've just installed to uh, to help try to improve the quality. And uh, hopefully I'll get that tweaked and, and in line before long. But that intro song was called Golden from the album Golden, produced by Chris Paget. For a link to Chris's website, stop by my website at www.catholichack.com. Just look for the show notes of this Behold the Man episode on Act of the Will. And that's what we're talking about tonight, an act of the will and how we can utilize that and to sort of meditate on our Lord's act of the will to uh, get us through our most challenging of times. And I'm going to be sharing some a bit of uh, uh, some feedback and some communication that I've had with a couple of listeners this week. On the show, and uh, and we'll talk about that. But before we do, as always, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All power and glory be to you, Almighty God, forever and ever. We come to to seek your, your grace, to seek your truth, to praise you, to glorify you, to walk in your ways. And we ask you to renew in us a right spirit, to create in us a clean heart, O Lord as we stand and and sit at your feet. We pray for all those who commit adultery, all those who fornicate, all those who are lost in lust and sin through pornography and all other means of, of, of sin that separates them from you, our Lord. We pray for all those marriages that have been destroyed by these sins. May God grant them the grace they need to live out their vocation as married couples. 
for the glory of God, for the sanctification of marriage, for the well-being and salvation of the family, and for the good of all society. We ask Our Lady to intercede for all of us in whatever vocation, whether it's married, the single life, or religious. May Our Lady intercede for us and whisper our names into the ear of her Son perpetually. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, just this week, I was very blessed to communicate with, with several people who are listeners to the show. You know, there's two of them that my heart truly goes out to. They're both in some very um, troubling circumstances. And they're sort of opposite sides of the same coin, so to speak. One of the listeners, you know, uh, both of which are in their marriages are on the rocks. Okay. One was the cause of that. And the other was the recipient of that. One, you know, through fornication, adultery, and pornography, and lust has destroyed the marriage. And the other, you know, through their spouse doing the same things has, uh, has, has now in the middle, midst of a, a, a divorce and all of the pain that goes into that. I myself am a, am a product of uh, divorced parents. I can't begin to, to explain and, and to tell you of the pain that's involved for children who are in that situation. Children simply do not care if their parents are happy with each other. They don't. Children want to be in the same house as both mom and dad every day. That's prime in the, in the life of a child. They don't understand the complexities of adult relationships. And so t- to them, it's a bit selfish, but it's supposed to be. Because we are too we are to persevere through these troubles, to love our spouse until death do us part. We've lost our way in most cases. Now, the good news is there is a way through this. There is a way to get through all this, through sexual promiscuity, pornography addiction, lust, adultery, marital crisis, you name it. There is a way to get through that. And here's the kicker, okay? Satan whispers into our ear, you're broken. How can God love you? Or, you know, these things are so bad that there is just no fixing this. I mean, have you heard Satan whisper this into your ear? I can tell you from personal experience, I have, that I have felt so broken, so uh, much like damaged goods, that it's not possible to return to God. I mean, do you feel lost, separated from God because of your sins? I mean, do you feel desperate and lonely? Does, Does... uh, desperation and and depression set in in your life as a result of the way you've lived? Do you feel like damaged goods? Too broken to return to God? Do you feel like God could not possibly love you because of what you've done? How you've lived your life? I have. (laughs) I've shared that story on this podcast many times. I've written about it in articles. I can recall standing at the foot of an old wooden weathered gray cross at Curcio Weekend just crying my eyes out, how could you love me, Lord? And even though I didn't hear the inner voice, I still overwhelmingly felt God telling me, I loved you so much that I died for you on this cross. Even you, you know? There is a way 
to get through this, this sense, this overwhelming sense that this world wants you to believe that you are, you are a hypocrite because you're just a sinner. How could God love you, right? How dare you proclaim Jesus is Lord of your life when you're such a sinner, right? Haven't we all heard this or haven't we all felt this? Well, the good news is, as I said, there is a way to be reconciled. There's a way through all of this. And yes, it's willpower. You know, one of my favorite sayings from Dr. Scott Hahn is, I would sin like King David if I could repent like King David. You know, David is the only man in all of Scripture to be called a man after God's own heart. That's 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. This is the very David who has countless, hundreds, literally hundreds of wives and concubines. He commits adultery with Bathsheba and then murders her husband to cover it all up. <laughs> That's a man after God's own heart? Really? Well, I got to tell you something. Knowing that, I feel a lot better. <laughs> I mean, knowing that, that David and all of his sinfulness, it's still possible to be reconciled to God, so much so that sacred scripture, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, communicates to us today that this man is a man after God's own heart. It makes me feel better. Because we can read in the Psalms how David pours himself out to God in repentance. And one of the most classic Psalms is Psalm 51. It even starts uh, with a note, at least in my RSV translation. It says, A psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, after his sin, after he, he, he realized of his sin. This is what David writes. This is the heart of this man, David. Quote, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love, according to thy abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done that which is evil in thy sight, so that thou art justified in thy sentence and blameless in thy judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in, in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth. In the inward being, therefore teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Fill me with joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors the way, and sinners will return to thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. Thy, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of thy deliverance. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou hast no delight in sacrifice. Were I to give a burnt offering, thou wouldst not be pleased. 
The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Now, I read almost that entire Psalm 51, but I just felt like it was worth reading. I want you to hear the, the, the passion of penance in this man's life, how he poured himself out. Do we pour ourselves out to God like this after we have sinned? I would argue most have not. Most do not. Even myself, I'm as guilty as everybody else. I would sin like David if I could only repent like David. Now, I don't want to sin like David. I have my own sins to, to deal with. I don't need his too. But if I could only repent like David, maybe I could be called a man after God's own heart. Maybe you could be called a woman after God's own heart. You know, as I said just this week in corresponding with these listeners, I heard, you know, the desperation, you know, the hopelessness, the sheer gravity and weight of their situations, the yoke that they were bearing, if only they could give that yoke to our Lord, who takes that yoke and gives to us His yoke, which is light and easy. It was as if they stood just outside that confessional, you know? Because it's the confessional where we we receive the reconciliation, the forgiveness of God, who, who sits there, using the person of the priest, using his faculties, using his voice to absolve us of our sins. He is waiting there for us, to meet us there. You know, like our Lord who walked in the garden in the cool of the day in Genesis chapter 3, there to receive confession of Adam and Eve, to dole out penances for sure, but then to reconcile them, to cover their nakedness with the skins of leather. Our Lord that was a, a, pre- a prefigurement of the sacrament of confession that we now enjoy. And it's as if these listeners were standing outside of that confessional and couldn't quite make it inside. One, because they felt too broken to receive God's love. The other, too angry, too bitter, too just filled with rage to forgive others as God forgives them. How sad to stand outside the confessional and never receive that absolution which God desperately desires to give to us. Do we step outside the boat like St. Peter with sheer willpower stepping outside of that boat, keeping his eyes fixed on our Lord, but the moment he looks at the storm, he starts to sink and our Lord has to rescue him? Isn't that all of our lives? I mean, that is is an example of human uh, potential of willpower in God, placing our trust in God, trusting Him in, in the midst of all of the storm that's raging around us, just trusting in Him and, and receiving that grace from Him to even walk on water like St. Peter did. Willpower is the answer. You know, I can remember being in Marine Corps boot camp back in the early 90s, and I was the company guide. I was actually the platoon guide, and I turned out to be the company honor man. But um, as the company guide, I was the number one recruit in charge of all the other recruits. And our platoon was about 80 recruits strong, and it waned by the end of it. But um, many, many, many days during that three-month ordeal, I asked myself, why? 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 Why did I get myself into this mess? I mean, every morning, almost every morning, the drill instructors would have me on my face doing push-ups. Why? Well, 
Uh, I would argue because they could, simply because they could. No, but they were. They would tell us that uh, they were trying to set an example. You see, my platoon, they were simply not moving fast enough in the morning, not making the racks, not getting dressed, not standing on line at attention fast enough to please them. And there was never any pleasing them as drill instructors. So every morning, I would have to get on my face and do push-ups while everybody else was making the rack, while everybody else was, was getting dressed and getting ready. I was not making my rack. I was not getting dressed. No, I would have to make up that time. So I would have to you know, work 10 times faster than every other recruit in the platoon. And let me tell you, I would receive punishment upon punishment from the drill instructor. I mean, I could tell you crazy stories of some of the antics that go on there. I mean, if you've seen some of the movies that depict Marine Corps boot camp, let me tell you how true some of those are. And worse. The recruits would complain. They would complain about all kinds of things. And there would be pranks. I would, in the middle of the night, I'd have to get up and check my boots. Because sometimes they'd put shaving cream in there. They'd tie my shoes, my boot strings in a, you know, in knots. Or, you know, even worse, they might put razors in there. You just never know what's going to go on. And I had to endure all of that. And I would ask why. Because I refused to give up. I refused to just quit. It was my willpower that got me through. And one day, I was facing a mountain. That mountain was called the Grim Reaper. You know, when, when recruits go to Marine Corps Recruit Depot, Training Depot in San Diego, they go through a, 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 a combat school, a second phase. At, when I went through boot camp anyway, it was phase two was up at Camp Pendleton. And there was a, there was a segment of that training where you actually had to go on these long hikes Okay, and one of them was up this mountain called the Grim Reaper, and the, the inclines were so steep, it was excruciating to climb up this mountain with a pack on your back, carrying your M16, and I, as a guide, I had to carry the guide on, and I had to lead the way. Now, as we, as we started our way up this mountain in formation, my senior drill instructor was to my left. And this man, I loved this man like he was God the Father almost. I mean, it was very close to idol worship. When you're in Marine Corps boot camp, you love your senior drill instructor so much that you would literally do anything for him that he should ever ask or desire without batting an eye. And this man was to my left, and I was supposed to keep abreast of him. But this hill was so hard. It was so difficult. I just remember, you know, sort of looking down the entire time. And I phased everybody out. I started to control my breathing. And I, even though my, my calf muscles were on fire, my thighs were about to burst with pain. And I just kept going and going and going. I forgot that I was in formation. I forgot my senior drill instructor was standing right next to me. And I went up that hill and I got faster and faster and faster. I simply would not quit. I could not quit. I would not allow my body to fail me. I only wanted to get to the top. And by the time I got to the top, I looked back. I had left everybody behind including my senior drill instructor, who was trying to keep up with me. I didn't realize it. This was a major mistake. Senior was so uh, embarrassed by it, by the fact that his guide would leave him in the dust like that. Oh, he was so angry. I was scared to death for my life. 
all of my platoon was just, you know, it's just strung out over this mountain and they were trying to make their way up. And some had, were quitting and some were failing and some were straggling. And, and here I was at the top, just totally focused and totally blocking everything out and just employing this willpower to succeed at all cost. I had to take this hill. I could not allow it to beat me, even though it would cost me a heavy price with my senior drill instructor. That sense of accomplishment was absolutely amazing. It was only topped by the day that I would uh, actually earn the title of U.S. Marine. That was a proud day in the life of my family. Even though that day compares nothing to the day that I received the sacraments and came home to the Catholic Church. Now, our Lord also showed ultimate willpower as he too climbed a mountain and went to the cross. He too had to carry a pack, only his pack was the tree of life that he would be nailed to, the fruit of the womb that gives life on the tree of life. Imagine this mountain before our Lord. Imagine, because our Lord knew exactly what he was getting himself into. Several times he, he prophesied his own death on the cross. Our Lady, Our Lady, was told by the prophet Simeon in the temple as she took Jesus up to, be, to redeem herself, to be purified and to be circumcised, or not circumcised, that was eight days later, but to be offered up in the temple as the firstborn offering. There, Right? Simeon told her that a sword would pierce her heart too. The suffering was coming and they knew it. And yet they still went. Our Lady was at the foot of the cross. There the whole time. And our Lord, as the Catechism of the Catholic Church says in paragraph 606, came to do the will of the Father. Not his own will. Not the will of the flesh. But the will of God. In paragraph 612, it actually talks about how he faced the horror of death in the Garden of Gethsemane and overcame it to do the will of the Father. In the Garden, our Lord prayed three times, Let this cup pass from me, but not my will. Thy will be done. That's St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, verses 30 through 50. He repeats himself three times. That's very repetitive prayer, by the way. <laughs> Tell that to the, the next critic of the Catholic Church and all of our repetitive prayer, quote-unquote. Our Lord prayed three times the same prayer. Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. He became sorrowful and just, and it started to freak out the, uh, the three disciples who he took a little further into the garden, you know, as they were watching on him, but not so much that they couldn't stay awake the whole time because he had to keep coming back and waking them up and saying, keep watch with me, pray with me, not my will, but thy will be done. But what I like is, when the horde comes out to arrest our Lord, to take him away, when Judas comes out to betray him with a kiss, what does Jesus say? Because St. Peter draws his sword and tries to defend our Lord and prevent these, these, uh, these soldiers and these traitors to, from taking our Lord and, and taking him off to be sacrificed. Our Lord says in St. John's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 10 through 11, and I just want to read it because I think it's so powerful. I love it. It says, quote, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. 
Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me to drink? Shall I not drink this cup? No, I will drink it. And he does. We know that he does. I mean, Jesus does drink this cup on the cross. He pulls himself up on the nails and bears the, the, the weight of his body. Now, when you go to Mass, look at the crucifix. Now, a lot of crucifixes depict the nail going through the palm of the hand, but most, uh, most scholars think that's probably not accurate. Most crucifixions were done at the base of the palm where, it, where the joint occurs there with the wrist. And it just so happens that there is the, the bundle of, uh, of nerves go through that point. And to nail that point, not only would it give it uh, structural strength to hold the body on the cross and not tear and fall, but it would have been excruciatingly painful. And I remember not uh, a few years ago, there was a hiker out in, the, in the, the desert. I think it was either New Mexico, Arizona, or Utah. I don't recall which. He got stuck in a little cavern. His arm was pinned between a boulder and the wall. And he had to chop off his own hand with a knife. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? Well, he describes this, this point where he gets down to this bundle of nerves. And the, just the slightest little movement of air caused him to just scream out in excruciating pain. Eventually, he had to cut through that. Our Lord endured that himself, one on each wrist, and he was hanging by it, and he would have had to pull himself up on that and, and fight the fact that his lungs were filling with fluid, right? Because that's how you die of asphyxiation on the cross. And he would have had to fight that to gasp for breath. And, and there he says, I thirst. In St. John's Gospel 19, verses 28 and through 30. I thirst. He would have gone through all that effort to say, I thirst. So we know he, he drinks this cup. Because, as John's Gospel goes on to tell us, that it was wine, sour wine, put on hyssop, raised up on hyssop. And our Lord took it. Now, hyssop, remember the psalm we read in Psalm 51, how David said he wanted to be purified with hyssop, this link of hyssop, also links us to the Passover sacrifice. And when our Lord takes this, this sour wine on hyssop, he proclaims, it is finished. Tell to lestai in the Greek. It means it's consummated, which is very interesting because in the Passover uh, liturgy, there are four cups. The third cup is the cup of blessing, which we read about in the Passover account, the Last Supper account in, in the Gospels. But that fourth cup, that fourth cup which our Lord didn't drink in the, in the upper room, because we know he sang a hymn, which was the Great Hillel, and then he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and so he never drinks that fourth cup. He never finishes the Passover meal, because he finishes it here on the cross, when he drinks this fourth cup raised up on hyssop, and he proclaims, tell Telestai, it is finished. This is the fourth cup of the Passover. This is the cup of consummation. This is why he says it is consummated. This fourth cup is the cup which our Lord gives in total obedience to the Father. As he says to St. Peter in the garden, shall I not drink the cup that my Father has given me to drink? And now we know he does drink that cup, the cup of total obedience because he lays down his life for everyone 
in all the world. This is why St. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6-8, through 8, quote, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Are you staring at a mountain right now? Are you faced with such dire circumstances that you feel broken, ashamed, or hurt, angry, How can I forgive when I am so hurt and so wronged and victimized? Pray. Reconcile. God is waiting for you in the confession. Angry? Feel like you can't? Do it anyway. A sheer act of will. Pray for the grace to forgive as God forgives you. Can't do that? Then pray for the grace to pray for the grace. But do it out of an act of willpower. Ephesians chapter 5, we are told, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God by sheer willpower. He became obedient, and through his perfect act of obedience, he unties the knot that Adam tied in his disobedience and his cowardice. Use your willpower to be reconciled today. Until next time, God bless you. From the Catholic Underground. Based on digital.